I remember like in grade school, we always do like personality tests and like I never really thought much of them. But like if you're really doing like soul searching and trying to figure stuff out, that like, these like simple personality tests might be of benefit. But the thing is you have to be honest. The way I see these personality traits, it tells you how you are, but it doesn't tell you why you're the way Ooh, you are. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, told them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day. Now my fan, they can't eat. As a new nurse, there is so much to learn. When I first graduated, I remember feeling overwhelmed and in need of a good nursing support system. Which is why the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare is such a great opportunity. HCA Healthcare's nurse residency program is designed to set up newly graduating nurses for success. With benefits like access to company-wide clinical education programs, clear career pathways to help you reach your goals, student loan assistance and tuition reimbursement, 401k matching, and so much more. The year-long program is the best place to build a foundation for your career. With HCA Healthcare, you get hands-on clinical experience while developing your critical thinking skills. Plus, you'll have support from a community of caring, experienced nurses, and fellow nurse residents. For all of you upcoming and recent grads, I highly recommend checking out the Nurse Residency Program at HCA Healthcare. You can learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com dot com slash residency again that's careers dot hca healthcare dot com slash residency hca healthcare an equal opportunity employer hey everyone welcome to another cup of news episode here with your host peter matt here thank you for tuning in and taking the time to listening to our show we are two nurses on a mission to change the world and we are your source for current health news and hot nursing topics if you find any value in this show, share with your loved ones, hit the five stars. This is what rates the show better, the, al- the algorithms, the downloads, and it keeps on motivating us to keep on producing this high-quality content, and it's just going to keep on going with the show. We love doing what we're doing. If you have any, inf- uh, if you want any information regarding cupofnurses.com, there's show notes there, access to the merch, the stuff that we're wearing here, and also you can check it on cupofnurses.shop. And we're always, always expanding. If you want something more when it comes to consciousness and higher self-growth, check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. There's articles there to help you with that. And we are forever expanding that side of what we're doing. But the main project that we're really working on and hustling out there every single day is Pronto, P-R-N-T-O. It is going to be an app that's going to innovate and revolutionize the healthcare industry. We're taking a lot of time into this. And I think it's going to be phenomenal for anyone that's in healthcare for landing your job so stay tuned for that prontohealth.com how you doing pete i'm doing great so today's episode we're gonna take a little psychological spin to things we're going to talk about the big five personality traits so if you think of like personality we're all we're all different but if you like look around and look at your friends we all share certain things i think we could fairly agree on that same way that there's like similar body types you got the endomorph morph mesomorph and ectomorph you could have kind of pinpoint certain personality traits that I guess each person exhibits to like a different extent. So it's like almost, almost like a way of categorizing uh, people. 
in a one kind of fashion. Or yeah, another. even if you're looking at a relationship and you want to settle down with someone, you're going to be looking at characteristic traits that you're going to want from your partner, whether it's honesty or loyalty or openness. Do you want somebody that's going to be more outgoing or do you want somebody more that's a homebody? So we have these personality traits, just like you mentioned, that are that psychoanalysts had to try to predict behavior and kind of put it in the box. Uh, we're beautiful humans and there's so much more to it than just five traits. Uh, but this is like the uh, aspect of us trying to uh, use reductionism and put everything into a box to make it um, more manageable. You more manageable say. and for psychologists to actually study human behavior. Yeah, it's interesting like the human fascination with the ability to like be able to predict certain behavior. Because if you think about it, even like horoscopes, you could say, and like the constellations, like the whole Pisces, Aquarius, Aries, all that kind of stuff. You're just trying to predict people's personalities in a, to a certain extent, right? It's kind of basically what it is. You're trying to predict what that person is and like kind of what that person is going to do. And when you have like these horoscopes in, in psychology and you could say more of like a science aspect, you have these uh, big five personality traits. So a little bit of a background about this. Uh, the big five was originally developed in 1949 by a theorist named D.W. Fisk. And then later on, it was expanded by other researchers such as Norman, Smith, Goldberg, and McRae and, and Costa. So it's like not just one theory that has existed for years and years and years. It's like one theory that has existed and then other theorists added on to it to make it kind of more accurate, you could say. So it's kind of like a, a group work kind of thing. It's not just like one person did this, I found this out. It's more of like a continuous working thing. And what's actually crazy um, is, I mean, I mentioned now just because I thought about it, I remember Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica. So if you guys don't know what Cambridge Analytica is, it was like this analytics firm that supposedly swayed or had an impact and influence on the 2016 presidential election. And they actually, uh, their, you say algorithm and the way they did things was actually based off of the FFM, which is the five-factor model of personality. So it actually used these five, uh, these big five personality traits in being able to predict and sway people's opinion, which is crazy because especially, it just shows just has some kind of validity to it. Especially to the point where you're able to create data points on human behavior and find out which people are very susceptible to manipulation and to change their opinion. Mm -hmm. And Cambridge Analytica would uh, put specific content in front of people's news feeds that would then alter their judgment or their opinion on a specific decision in this case it was the election that we're talking about mm -hmm. so it's so powerful how these tools are and social media is a tool too to its benefit if you look at algorithms right if you are a person that's that wants to learn a skill set for example marketing or you want to learn how to snowboard well you could use the algorithm to your benefit to have all these videos come onto your newsfeed to learn this trait you could also have this algorithm dumb you down with a bunch of Bad, bad content and booty, it's just going to keep booty. you yeah booty it's just going to keep you down into the negative behaviors of human psychology so mm -hmm. social media isn't good or bad it's just how you use the tools in in our current given time mm -hmm. yeah so stemming down for like the creation of this uh big five personality traits so like in the, the late 19th century uh some social psychologists were trying to figure out and create a more scientific of, of approach of understanding personality uh, so what they kind of did is they just looked at all like the words in the, US, in the, like, the dictionary, the Webster dictionary, and they found 18,000 words that describe personality traits. And then they narrowed it down from the 18,000 to 4,500 words that kind of meant the same thing. And now they even went 
a giant step further that now they have like these five general general ones and of course this is just a big five so this is like one of the biggest theories you could say and there's other small ones that also stem off this theory that get get put into this category the, the big five so this is like the broadest one there is but since it's so broad technically it makes it more accurate because as humans we're all very very different so it's really hard to compartmentalize every single aspect of, of personality and this is kind of our best bet sometimes it's better to be broader than it's niche down because if you try to get too niche down your sensitivity is higher so you're more likely to be wrong i agree with you mm. And then, like, just some more history on this is, like, in the 60s and 70s, they kind of took, like, a a spin-off and shifted away from personality. And I guess there is this one psychologist, uh, Walter Mischel, that kind of used this model and said it's only about 30% accurate, which is not, not very much um, in, like, a personality uh, predictor kind of thing. But then on the flip side, in the 80s, they kind of started to do more and more research and actually were able to realize that, hey, this is actually more accurate than, than we thought and now, like, the big five is almost, like, the gold standard, you could say. The big five, and then there's also two subtypes under it. Like, they say there's, like, a hierarchy. So, under these big five, there's actually two more underneath. So, I think there's, like, there's ten. And that one's like, seems to be, like, a promise, promised one. But the most accurate-wise is just this, this big five. Right. It's, like, the polarity of those five. There's different aspects of them. Just, like, you could be open and closed at the same time, mm. which is duality. It's kind of interesting, too, seeing how... Back in the day, they were trying to figure all this out. I wish we could have like an up-to-date source of information to find out what are currently psychologists working on and the study of behavior and what they're trying to accomplish. Right, yeah, because like, cause the thing is, is we're humans, so we're unpredictable. But we're predictable to a certain, uh, you could say, vantage point. Because let's just say I could examine you. I give you a, a basket of fruit every day. And even though I can't guarantee that you're going to pick an apple, if I see that out of the 20 days, 15 days, you picked an apple, like my bet's going to be on an apple. Even though I'm not going to be right, I'm not guaranteed to be right, I know that your likelihood of getting an app, picking an apple is, um, is higher than other ones. That's kind of what these five big five personality th- things are, is like it's able to predict to a certain extent, even though it's not, it's not able to predict your next move, but it's able to predict to a certain extent uh the path you could say that you're gonna take yeah what's interesting is like my when i've been studying like coaching and everything i'm doing when it comes to the creation of reality beliefs are very powerful so beliefs are a template that you have been given to from your parents and loved ones but they just loved you in the best ability that they could so these templates which is almost like sunglasses that you view the world so what's interesting is Beliefs are like the most powerful thing because it creates the experience, the feelings, and everything else that has to do with uh, reality. So I do believe there's five personality traits and all that. But if you want to get to like the root cause of changing behavior and figuring out how a person views life, you have to understand the belief templates that they're operating on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these big five ones, the first one we're going to go over is, is openness. So this is like, you could think of openness to, to experience. Uh, in general, uh, like the applic- appreciation for like art, emotions, adventure, unusual ideas, imagination, curiosity, and a variety of experiences. So it's like your openness to do things, and this is like the, the imagination and the idea of, of things. This is your ability to like think outside the box. I kind of see this person as if you're highly open, even though you're, on, you're stuck on an island, and 
like shit's not working out for you guys. You are still optimistic and you're going to be focused on taking on these new challenges and um, trying to create, you know, you're going to use your imagination and curiosity to try to figure out the current reality that you're in Mm -hmm. versus somebody that's uh, not as open. They are, they resist these new ideas. They don't enjoy new things. They're going to be very rigid to what's happening. They're going to just like, they're going to get it, get in their own way because they're not happy with the circumstance that they're in. They're very pessimistic. Yeah. So if you're like an open person, you're getting more likely to hold like unconventional beliefs. Like even us, like take a look at us and compared to like some of our, our friends, a lot of them are getting married and settling down. Right. So technically since we're different from them, you and I are both more open and unconventional beliefs. Like we were born Catholic, right? We were raised Catholic, but we don't fully believe in that. You, you could say, or at least, to at least if I could speak for myself is I don't fully believe in the, the whole Catholic thing, right? So I'm I'm more open because I understand that hey, there's there's things outside this box that, you know, I haven't explored. So let me explore and kind of pave my my own path. Yeah. And that that kinda of has to do with like social conditioning where you're talking about where mm-hmm. even though social conditioning is effect affecting you, you're you still have this personality of openness and you're not thinking so linear you're thinking mm-hmm. abstract and knowing that hey you're just on a different mission in life and you're open to that versus thinking very negative about it like i need to settle down and find a girlfriend and have kids because this is what everyone else is doing mm, exactly and even like with openness comes high risky behavior and drug taking activities you could say so like we're travel nurses like that's probably one of the most riskiest things you could take as a person you're leaving your family you're leaving your job that you've worked at for such a long time that you've uh, met so many people with. Like, like we are very open people. Just the fact that we're able to leave staffing and just kind of pursue these other other passions. It even says like individual, individuals with high openness are said to pursue self-actualization, specifically by seeking out intense euphoric experiences. Like we're always trying to get stimulated on, onto something, something new. We're always looking at something new, like something different. And that's like the higher if you look at openness on a linear level that's on the the more higher uh like let's just say to the left spectrum, it's on a yeah. spectrum of there where you're open to everything so you could also be open to drug taking risky behavior and everything else because you're so open to everything you're just experiencing life so mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely balance with everything that that has to do with uh personality traits so i think of like openness i think of like our friend dan like so we have an article that says, think of a person who's always ordering the most exotic thing on the menu, going to different places and having interests which you would never have thought of. That's like our buddy Dan. Like, how much times have we been to a restaurant with Dan and he would like look at the menu and say, hey, can you do this? Custom this and order. This. Yeah. Everything's always custom order. And he always showed us like the better food spots and we never went to the same place twice. Like even when he first took us to like the Mission Beach area where we vacationed with him, like before Colorado, I don't know if it was before Colorado or after Colorado, like we stayed at two different spots in Mission Beach, one, one, one right by the ocean and one a little bit more inland. So it's like we never stayed and had the same experience twice. So Dan's very open. That's like kind of the stuff that Dan gave to us too is our openness because at yes. one point we were very close-minded, you could say, because we just didn't know what was out there until we actually seeked from it. So if you're high in openness, you're going to be very creative, open to trying new things, focused on tackling new challenges, happy to think about abstract concepts, curious, imaginative, unconventional. If you're on the lower side of openness, you're going to dislike change, does not enjoy new things, resist new ideas, not very imaginative, dislikes abstract or theoretical concepts, predictable, prefers routine, and traditional. But of course, like realize that these five personality traits, it's not like a yes or a no. 
it's it's a scale between like zero and ten. You know how you ask your patients, hey, how's your pain? Zero, ten, ten being the worst pain you ever had, zero being nothing. This is kind of how it is. Like you rate yourself. It's not either you're open or you're not. It's not how it works. It's just like you could either be a, a six, you could be a four, you could be a three, or you could be a ten. And you can focus and change those things mm-hmm. too by focusing on different data in your life. It's all available to us. Just like negative behavior, you're just focusing on data that's causing you to feel negative emotionally versus focusing on data that somebody else in the room is doing too that's focusing on positivity. Mm-hmm. I'm so the next one is conscientiousness, and that's a tendency to display uh, self-discipline and striving and getting after your achievements and outside expectations. So somebody that's on the higher conscientiousness side is going to be often um, stubborn and focused. And that indicates an ability to plan for things rather than if you're low conscientiousness, you'd be more spontaneous behavior. And it's kind of funny because now I'm thinking about uh, the people that, that are in Cup of Nurses and Luke is more of the higher conscientiousness side. He loves the rigidity of being organized, self-discipline. He's paying attention to detail and he loves set schedules versus Peter and I, we can be on the opposite side of things and we could have... Uh, we could be a little bit disorganized and I don't want to say careless and not disciplined. We're just okay with organized chaos in a way, just like the ER. Yeah, because these, these, yeah, these things are black and white. So it's not like you're either conscientious or you're not. You know, you're on the scale of between zero and, and 10. And of course, like sometimes, uh, you know, we're more conscientious of certain things than, than, than others. So uh, people with low conscientious, you could say this, uh, tend to dislike structure and schedules tends to procrastinate on important tasks and fail to uh, complete tasks uh, as well sometimes. So what's interesting about this is like the average level of conscientiousness rises among younger adults, but then declines among older adults. So as you get, so you reach like a peak of conscientiousness as like a young adult. And then when you start to get older, you actually become less uh, conscientiousness. Yeah. Because you're more okay with like just letting things go, you could say. I'm thinking about my own personal life. I feel like I was on the low side where... I was careless and disorganized for quite some time. And now I've realized the power of saving brain power energy by putting everything in Google Doc and Sheets. And this is where organization comes to, to play. And it's it saved so much uh, mental stress in my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're reaching that, um, that young adulthood. So you're, you're peaking with consciousness almost. So when you think of somebody on a higher conscientious spectrum, you're going to see someone that spends more time preparing finishes important tasks right away, pays attention to detail, enjoys having a set schedule, competence, organized, dutifulness, achievement, striving, self-discipline, and then deliberate. So it's like every action is completely meticulously well thought out. On the lower conscientiousness side, it's going to be a dislike in structure and schedules, uh, makes messes and doesn't take care of things, fails to return things or put them back where they belong, procrastinates important tasks, fails to complete necessary or assigned tasks, incompetent, disorganized, careless, indisciplined, and impulsive. So I think for the most part, taking me to perspective, I think I'm more on the, on the lower side. Definitely. Yeah. The next big personality trait is extroversion. And this is a trait that you can easily identify in your life. And how do you get your energy? Do you get your energy from the company of other people? Or are you more of a homebody? And I think of this right away as being either extroverted or introverted. So if you have a trait that you're very talkative, assertive, a lot of emotional expression, and you are recognized as somebody that, hey, thrives in social interactions, you are on the spectrum of the higher extroversion. Mm -hmm. 
versus uh, somebody that's on the lower side, they are more introverted. So they love social engagement, but that's not where they get their energy. They enjoy being more low-key, quiet, deliberate, and they're less involved with the outside world. So they prefer solitude. Uh, sometimes they have difficulty starting conversations. They dislike making small talk because they're very highly like um, they have depth in their life. These mm. people have depth because they love reading books and spending time with themselves. So they're always like, I would imagine it up in their heads and their imagination. Mm. And they dislike being the the center of attention because they're introverted. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean like introverts are like, you could say depressed or whatever, or, or shy or antisocial. <laughs> Just like, you know, they get their energy, energy from uh, different aspects. And like, I feel like sometimes I feel like, like all three of us here, you, Luke, and, and myself, I feel like we exhibit both. Like, but I guess it depends on what situation we're placed in. You know, like we're extroverts in certain aspects and introverts in other aspects. So if you're uh, high in extroversion, you're going to enjoy being the center of attention, like you start conversations, enjoy meeting new people, have a wide social circle of friends and acquaintances, finds it easy to make new friends, feels energized when around others, says things before thinking about them, sociable, excitement seeking and outgoing on the lower spectrum of of extroversion you prefer solitude you feel exhausted from having to socialize a lot finds it difficult to start conversations dislikes making small talk carefully thinks about things before speaking dislikes being the center of attention and then also re- reflective and this is where like the beliefs come into play which is interesting it's trying to find out the behavior of the person of why they're so extroverted so let's just say they have the ability to or want people pleasing they always like to be the center of attention they always want to make other people feel good and that gives them energy but why are you people pleasing and that's kind of going deep inside is hey i never felt maybe good enough so Mm. i always feel good when i get externally validated for making somebody happy and and etc yeah yeah it's crazy to think about like that like you know like a lot of of these like personality things they're not in, in diff, in, like indicative of certain things, but it's like a good good thing to like look at, especially these questionnaires. I remember like in grade school, we always do like personality tests and like I never really thought much of them. But like if you're really doing like soul searching and trying to figure stuff out, that like these like simple personality tests might be of benefit. But the thing is you have to be honest. It's only gonna work as well as honest you are because you could say like, let's just say you're not an outgoing person but you want to seem like you're outgoing and you put yeah you're outgoing but you're really not then you're only doing yourself harm like it's not a big deal if you're if you're extroverted or introverted it's just like the, the way you are it's not it's not like uh like one's better than than the other so it's like the, like, the way i see these personality mm-hmm. traits it tells you how you are but it doesn't tell you why you're the way you are mm-hmm. so this is where like deep uh, deep shadow work and everything comes into place to figuring out why you are the way that you are. Yeah, yeah, because you want to be like kind of in between on all these spectrums. We, we think about it, and just like, how are you gonna gonna achieve this? How are you gonna achieve and become this person you want to be if you don't actually know who you are as a person? You know. Uh, the next one here is agreeableness. So agreeableness refers to how people tend to treat relationships with others. So unlike extroversion, which cons- uh, consists of the pursuit of relationships, agreeableness focuses on people's orientation and interaction with others. The agreeableness trait reflects individual differences and general concern for social harmony. So it's kind of like you have almost like the uh, the whole societal aspect when you make your choices. You want to almost like be the best in like the most amount, if that makes sense. Like not, not, not like people pleasing, but like you're trying to look at what's benefit for the whole. 
not necessarily ju- just for you. So it's like more altruistic, just being generous. Yeah. So it's like almost like um, you basically value if you're very agreeable, you value uh, getting along along with people like you're willing to kind of self-sacrifice just to make somebody else kind of kind of happy to a certain extent. So these people are generally viewed as uh, considerate, kind, generous, trusting and trustworthy, helpful and willing to compromise their interests with with others. And if you're like on the lower spectrum of agreeableness, you might be somebody that takes a little interest in others. You don't care how other people feel. You might come off as being selfish. You take insults and you insult and belittle people. You can manipulate people. You're very demanding, stubborn, show off, and you can f- come off as being very unsympathetic. Mm. Yeah, agreeableness is, is interesting because people that work in medicine, especially nurses, they're technically really high in, a, in agreeableness because... If you think about it, if you have a non-agreeable person, like imagine what kind of care they would be able to, to, to provide somebody. Because let's say you have a patient that's on like their fourth, fifth admission, readmission for, let's just say, um, fluid overload, right? Like a agreeable person will kind of be understanding, will, be, will kind of understand like, hey, you can't keep, keep doing this. Like this is going to keep becoming a problem. You're never going to solve it. But you're still going to take care of it versus someone that's non-agreeable that's going to be like, you know, like, hey, like, if you don't care about your life, I'm not going to care about your life either. That's kind of like the non-agreeable aspect. And that kind of a person in healthcare isn't going to do much benefit, right? So you have to sacrifice, self-sacrifice a little bit for, of yourself to help somebody else. Yeah, so that's ma- why these healthcare fields have people that are highly agreeable. And it makes sense why we have such burnout because we're always, we're enjoying helping people, but we don't put ourselves forward. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, on the other side of the spectrum, like as a healthcare provider, you do create those boundaries where you're like, okay, no, like this ain't going to work out. Or there's somebody that's super needy. Or that says something else, you kind of like say something back, like, okay, you're going to set this boundary with that person. So, yeah, with, with agreeableness, I did some like research like prior to like scripting this. Like, I, I, I was looking at the, at the big five prior to, to like this episode, just because like when I was really big in psychology a couple years ago. And <clears throat> I was looking at like agreeableness and its impact on like leadership and um, do more, do people that have a higher agreeableness, are they more leadership roles or, or, or less? And like, it's still 50-50, but like a lot of the stuff that I looked into was showing that less agreeable people are actually, um, are, they actually have higher roles in life. So they're not transactional leaders if you have low acceptance. Yeah, but they're, no, they're, they're not transactional. So that's more of a transactional leader okay. if you're less agreeable. But like research shows that like a lot of these studies show if you look at the people that are kind of in power right now and like the wealthy people, they tend to be less agreeable. So they're associating that with people that are less agreeable are kind of, uh, they don't let people talk them down, you could say, or try to change up their ideas. Because it's almost like they knew their idea would, would work and people around them that wanted to change it, if they were very agreeable, they would be open to change that idea. But since they didn't, they stuck it all the way through, they're less agreeable, but they actually made something and create something. So it's like an in- interesting thing, but because it's why it's inter- interesting is because people that work in teams, they actually have a higher agreeableness. You're able to work better in teams if you're more agreeable. Makes but sense. then like the other aspect is like, if you're not agreeable, it leads to high, to more success. So it's like an interesting way to look at things. It just, it just shows that like, you know, it, this is a spectrum. So it's like a little bit of a more on one end could be better suited for certain things than others. Yeah, even if you think about a transformational leader and thinking about climbing the corporate ladder, it seems like if you have a high-level agreeableness and display those traits, you're not going to really get down to business Mm -hmm. and 
you got to cut budgets and do things that are not the best for people, but it's benefiting the company, mm -hmm. which in return is making you a better leader because there's more profits and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to think about. So people on the high agreeable spectrum, you're going to have a great deal of interest in other people, care about others, feel empathy and concern for others, enjoy helping and contributing to happiness of others, assisting others, trustworthy and forgiving, straightforward, altruistic, compliant, modest, and sympathetic. If you're lower on the agreeableness spectrum, you're going to take less interest in others, not really care so much about how others feel, has little interest in other people's problems, can be insulting and belittling, belittle, belittling, um, manipulates others for their own interest, skeptical, demanding, stubborn, show off, unsympathetic. You know, I feel like, you know, you and I, and then also uh, Luke, we're like agreeable and disagreeable to like a certain extent. I guess it depends on what aspect of, of our lives we think about it. But I think for the most part, we're more on the highly agreeable spectrum. This is the fact that we're nurses. Yeah. Looking at the fifth personality trait, this one is neuroticism and is char characterized by sadness, moodiness, and emotional instability. Uh, the way I kind of envision this person is somebody that's just super high in height or flight where physical and emotional stress gets to them. They're super impulsive and they always kind of feel like under threat in everyday life. Mm -hmm. So they're highly neurotic. Uh, so people that have high levels of neuroticism will tend to experience mood swings, anxiety, irritability, and from day-to-day -day character, they, they respond to high levels. They respond badly to high levels of stress. Yeah, I think nur nursing has definitely, like we always say this, I feel like, but nursing has definitely made us less susceptible and less vulnerable to anxiety and stress like that's like one of those hidden gifts and gems of being a nurse especially in like the icu where you're dealing with like people's last chance of life like that amount of stress that you experience in a situation there's no stress like that compares that's why we're able to handle such a high you could say workload and stress load outside of work is because we're so used to it in-house yeah so they have angry hostility towards people one thing that stands out is self-consciousness so they come out as being shy so the opposite of self-awareness instead of being aware of yourself with self-consciousness you're still aware of yourself but it's a negative emotion where you're caring about the opinions of other people and oh how am i looking how does this look at me or somebody that's like continuously pulling their shirt or kind of like you know fixing their hair and things like that they're very fixated on self-consciousness versus uh, versus being self-conscious meaning I'm sorry, versus being self-aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy to think about that because there's probably some people that you met in your life that are that um, are kind of like that. And like if someone's like really fidgety, you know, in their seat all the time, moving around always, like that kind of shows you how they are in their head, in their head too. Like, you know, someone's like, I'm a little extra. Am I neurotic? I mean, probably not. I, mean, I want to say I'm not. But if, if because I'm, because like the way I looked at it, I'm like, am I neurotic? Because sometimes I just like, I like to fucking make noise. I like to yell sometimes. But like the fact of, of this is like, I, narrow it down to like am i am i happy though because i'm majority of the time I'm, I'm happy so like yeah i might be loud i might, I might be quiet but i'm still always happy and just like there's different ways of i express like like that feeling them. And it's not a, it's not neurotic because i'm not having mood swings i'm, I'm still ha just having that one mood but just like a different way to express it kind of things so i was like kind of thinking i'm like am i neurotic because i was looking back at this and how you know how you overthink sometimes you're like reading into things really deeply and you're just like am i this and i, and I thought about it i'm like shit am i neurotic but i'm not because i'm not i'm not really depressed i don't really have I do have anxiety, but so is, everybody, everybody has anxiety, you know? So it's like, I'm not over anxious. Like sometimes I do overthink things, that's normal, but uh, but I think 
if you're neurotic, you're going to overthink and not be able to catch yourself overthinking. And you're, you're always be paralyzed in your actions. Right. At least when I'm overthinking, yeah, I might overthink for a little bit, but then I could at least reground myself and realize like, hey, this really isn't that big of a deal. So it's just like that, almost like a shield of of neuroticism that like, that like kind of um, like deflects that part of like that personality, you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on the opposite spot of the spectrum, we have low neuro- neuroticism. So think about somebody that's more stable in their emotions. They deal with stress a lot more, a lot better, I should say. They feel very relaxed, calm, confident, and they're resilient. So versus on the high side, you can't bounce back from events that happen in your life. You get very stuck in your thoughts. Here you have like this grit, the self-discipline. Okay, this happened. You feel relaxed about it and you just keep on going. You, you bounce back versus mm-hmm. on the high, you don't. Yeah. And the big five, and, and I like how influential is, is it actually? Like, is this any validity? So actually, one particular study looked at 123 pairs of identical twins and 127 pairs of fraternal twins. And the findings suggested that heritability of each trait was 53% from extroversion, 41 for agreeableness, 44 from conscientiousness, 41 for neuroticism, and 61 for openness. So it's like, like since we're, gen- we're made up of genetics, right? So... We have a mom, a father, and a, and, a ma- and a mother that we need for us to be conceived, right? So it's like you could take a look at your parents and you're going to be some kind of a combination between them. And like it shows you that about 50%, it's like 50% predictable of what you're going to kind of kind of get from these, these big five. So it's just, it's just like just by looking at your parents, people can roughly predict on like kind of how you're going to be in a certain ex- extent. So it's like you, and that's like what you mentioned is like that canvas you're given. Like these, these personality traits you're, you're given, this is what you're working with. You have to be aware of them. And then when you're aware of them, then you could change because this personality traits are is what you're given for your parents. You, you could say it in a, in like another way. They're, they're templates. Yeah. This is your template, instead. right? Yeah. These are, these are your templates. Now it's like, what are you going to do with these templates? Are you going to keep some templates? Are you going to discard some templates? Are you going to combine some templates? Like, what are you gonna do? And it's a kind of like beauty of life. It's just like you're 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 like just a character dropped in this game, and you gotta kind of figure it out from there. These are your like your your strengths and weaknesses, and you could choose to where to kind of put the points and where to improve and where to take out uh, points. Yeah, and anybody that's listening, it's great to write out these five and rate yourself on a linear scale from zero to ten. Where do you find yourself? And the beauty of it is, hey, we can manipulate. Not manipulate. It's kind of a negative stunt word, but we can change where that line that dot is on that scale if we take time and do focus work so for example if you're neurotic and you feel more anxious and fight or flight you need to take time to one tell yourself that it's okay right so from a mental level you got to like give yourself positive self-talk but also there's a direct negative biofeedback loop from the body which also is creating negative chemicals that are causing you to be in fight or flight so you got to do things such as breathing or meditation where hey you're kind of unlearning from a mental standpoint and now you have to unlearn what the body has learned for such a long time it this is the only environment that it knows how to thrive in Mm -hmm. so you wake up and your body doesn't know if it should be chilling or not it just gets activated to the most common emotion because that's how it's been thriving yeah and it sucks like you might the the shitty thing is is you might be given a shitty deck of cards it might your the place where you are in life might suck. Waking up for you might be one of the worst feelings ever. Like oh, I gotta go through this, this again. But the beauty of it is that you could change that. Just because you feel that now and you feel that today does not mean that you're going to have to feel that 
feel that later on. Like it's not it's not a one day process where it's like oh next you're gonna feel great. There's nothing like that. It's the it's the work because think about it. If let's just say if you're 28 and you're just starting to do like the soul searching and try to figure out who you are, well guess what? You have 28 years of programming that you didn't even know what was going on. So don't expect the results after the first week, after the first month, because it's nothing like that. Never, nothing in, in life can be done in an hour. Nothing in life can be changed in a week or in a month. It doesn't work like that. It's a constant thing. You've been programmed for 28 years to think this way, to do these things. And now you have to figure out a way to take those, what you've, take that what you've learned and mold it into like what you want to become. And, you know, you can't put this idea of, hey, I want to be this person on this pedestal because you're never going to achieve that. Because the deck that, that you're given is only going to give you so much, right? That's where you have to be acceptance of the things that, that you want to, that, that you're going to be. Like, for example, no matter how bad I want to play basketball, no matter how, ba- how bad I trained, I'm never going to be a basketball player. I'm never. Even if when I was younger, even if I would have started when I was when I was 10 years old, I would have never become uh, a basketball player because I don't have the physical attributes and I just don't have that, that pull towards basketball, right? So, like, me saying that, hey, I want to be wealthy by playing basketball, that's not the right way to approach life. Like, just take a broad aspect. If you want to be wealthy, just, just say you want to be wealthy. Think about why you want to be wealthy and then think about what you have to get you there. Because just thinking about, and I'm thinking about wealth, not because it's the most important thing in the world, I'm thinking about wealth because it's something that's tangible and you could kind of all, all agree on that we would want to be a millionaire, right? It's easy to give an example off that. So just first understand why you want to be, be like a millionaire and then see what you have and see how that can be taken to that $1 million route. Because if, if you're five foot eight and you weigh 100, 160 pounds, you're like you playing in an NFL is probably not an, a, a good way to think about, hey, wait, I want to reach that million. You guys see what you have. And then, then see what you have. And then you can make the soup out of what you have kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? And then if yeah. you look at men and women, so D. Young and Weinsberg in 2011, they concluded some studies on the difference of gender and how the five big personality traits play a role across these 10 aspects. So they concluded that women uh, tend to have higher scores in extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism than men. And that could make sense. Like we work in a female dominant field and I could tell you women are anxious. They're also more outgoing than men, you could say, in like the extroversion process and they're definitely highly agreeable. We see that literally those three things in nurses, 100% each, each day. And it's kind of cool to take a look at because like we work in a female dominant career. So it's like we notice these things, but a woman isn't going to notice things because they're surrounded by the normal. The same energy that's yeah. feeding off the, even if you like look at like females and like problems, not to stereotype, right? This is a podcast where we don't do that. So you have somebody that, oh my God, I, this happened. So what, if you are a male talking to this female, you're going to give her advice on how to solve this problem versus the female. They're going to create excitability and only bring up this problem, like put on a pedestal of how crazy it is mm-hmm. instead of giving constructive um, advice on how to maybe change what the situa- situation that they're in. Yeah, it would be interesting to talk to a woman that's in like in finance, like completely in, in finance, like, like hardcore with it because like lo- finance is a male dominant profession, right? So the stuff that these, these, male, these males exhibit that's that's normal for them so they don't notice it but when you bring a female in, in, into that position she's going to be able to notice these tendencies that the guys have because she's different so she has a different outlook that's why we notice these things about our female coworkers so easily is because you and i we're so different from them so so we understand how they're different that's why when you bring a female into a male dominant position they notice it too because they have their own normal but guess what now they're in an environment where it's not normal so they're easier to, to 
problem solve things and pick things out is because you're thinking about things in a, in a different way compared to everybody else that's kind of on the same gravy train. Yeah, in order to notice this, like it takes a lot of mm-hmm. deep work to be conscious and be aware and of... And putting yourself in, into like these, I don't want to say stressful, but new situations. Like you have to throw yourself into like these these new things that, that you do. You can't be doing the same thing over and over again because you're not going to be as uh, pliable and you're not going to be able to get as much knowledge because if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're talking to the same people over and over again, you're not talking to, some, to anybody new, you're not like speaking to like let's just say uh let's just say i always talk to the people that come change the lens because they have a different different perspective on left than i do and sometimes i learn something from, from them that i might not be able to learn from a nurse so it's just like the beauty of this is like the more experiences you take on the more your knowledge grows because you're more pliable and you're able to kind of figure out each situation because you've been placed in so much new situations yeah and that's why i like when we take trips for example to miami or i take a trip back home because I like take myself out of the routine that I'm completely stuck in and I can self-reflect and journal and see how I feel and everything else and see maybe what changes I want in my life that's that's calling me by neglect them because I'm too stuck in the routine mm-hmm. of how things should be. All right. Um, so even as simple as like before I flew into Chicago, every single time I ate some food, I had some of those white chocolates and then like after I came back from Chicago, I like reached for the bag and I was about to do that. I'm like, why am I doing that? Oh, because it's just a routine that I was used to. I put it away because it's like, hey, why, I got, why am I going to reprogram myself again when I'm noticing this is something I don't want to do? Right. But that's how powerful routines are where you're kind of breaking consciousness and being self-aware and you're kind of like flipping yourself back into this negative thought pattern loops or whatever it is. It's that comfort, man. Sometimes comfort, comfort's not always, just because it feels comfortable doesn't mean it's always good. Like that chocolate, like, you know, you've been reaching for it because like your body is almost programmed to like taking those calories and I know what you're going to go for that. So it's like, yeah, let's do it. And it's harder to not reach for those chocolates for sure. Yeah. Sugar's addicting just yeah. like anything else. Yeah. Another good episode for y'all. This is more of like a psychological one. Man, and I are pretty enthusiastic about psychology and human psychology and behavior in general. So this was one for the uh, psycho fans out there. But have a good day. Peace.